0: You're listening to The Hour with Resident Advisor. The Hour! This this, is is The Hour. hour. You're listening to The Hour. This is The Hour.
1: With Resident Advisor.
0: Hello and welcome to The Hour, RA's blend of documentaries, discussion, interviews and lots of other things besides. I'm Martha, producer of The Hour, here to guide you through... The next two episodes of The Hour will be an exploration of the economics of electronic music. Journalist, DJ and music producer Angus Finlayson is here to break down this weighty subject. Here's Angus with part one.
2: The dance music industry is booming right now. The Ibiza Music Summit's latest business report puts its global worth at 7.2 billion US dollars. And we're not just talking about Calvin Harris and co. These days, even obscure dance music scenes are often slick commercial operations. But how much of this money actually goes to the people who drive the whole thing along the music producers? My name's Angus Finlayson, and besides contributing to RA, I make music under the name Minor Science. In the past year or so, I've seen discussions on this topic flare up repeatedly on social media. Producers, DJs and dance music fans have begun to question the mechanisms underpinning the industry and to ask whether they're really fair. Some talk of a crisis for underground music producers who have seen traditional income streams dry up while other actors in the scene seem to be doing as well as ever As a producer myself, I was keen to get a deeper understanding of these issues. Do recent changes in music distribution and consumption mean that people like me should give up on their dream of making a stable living from their music? Or is it simply a matter of adapting to the new reality? For this two-part episode of The Hour, I spoke to a range of musicians, commentators, and technological innovators to find out how the economics of dance music have changed and how they could, or should, change in the future. In the first episode, we'll be looking at the most direct way of earning income from music, selling it to fans. In the age of streaming, this is no longer as simple as it perhaps once was. To start with, I spoke to Matt Dryhurst, a thinker, theorist and artist with a keen understanding of how new technologies are shaping underground music communities.
3: My name is Matt Dryhurst. I work on artworks and uh, teach in Berlin and have an active Twitter account.
2: (laughs) Do you think it's harder for a musician to earn money from their music now than it was in the past?
3: Yes and no. Um, Undeniably, it is easier to publish your music online and hypothetically receive compensation for the downloading or purchase of that music, um, that is undeniably easier. Uh, the fallacy of that kind of logic, which you're kind of hammered over the head with of this being this great democratizing time, um, the fallacy of that obviously is that what we learn is that people don't really find that stuff. Um, and. The ways in, in which people do find that stuff um, tend to be through informal or formal organizational structures such as labels or the press, who are in turn um, under threat by the very dynamics um, that allow people to easily publish their files online. So it's a complicated question. Um, I think that for the communities that I care about and I suspect you care about, it is increasingly becoming more difficult um, because the criteria I would suggest for uh, the kind of things that I care about is that they tend to have a relationship with an archive. They tend to have a relationship with precedence.
2: So you mean kind of a, a, an existing or historical kind of musical tradition? or
3: Exactly, and they can abstract as far away from that tradition as they like, but they tend to be in conversation with those things. But yeah, so I think that for those kind of communities that traditionally have interacted with curatorial bodies or uh, or kind of institutional bodies that have determined the archive, for which there are like numerous criticisms that can be leveled. Those, those bodies and institutions can always be improved, and that's very legitimate. Um, for those communities, I think it is becoming difficult because what we're seeing is a surge in kind of what, I, it's a very reductive uh, way of putting it but i call it something like an algorithmic populism right like this idea of the streaming platforms kind of exploding the idea of a release like removing attribution repackaging one small part of something that you have created and putting it within this other form it tends to be more right, ut- are you sort of playlists or? playlists and ex- exactly and also going toward kind of like an upvote upvoting kind of the the biggest marketing campaign wins kind of scenario, which which is yeah, like a, a, a kind of dystopian free market approach, which I, I try and push back on because the, pe- the people I care about generally don't tend to win in those environments. You've quite neatly moved us on to the issue of
2: streaming, which is obviously a big factor in this new musical landscape. Could you kind of perhaps give a little bit more detail about how you think the streaming platforms um, are damaging to music culture?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that the first thing I'd like to address that I think is important about streaming is, um, you know, so one of the great kind of arguments from the, I mean, this has been around since, like, the birth of the internet, but the, this kind of, like, freedom of information argument, this, like, open accessibility, democratise the web kind of idea, that argument has been kind of piggybacked upon by streaming platforms who their main sell is saying, you know, here's a world where you can access all music at any point in time and so the argument toward communities that traditionally i would care about is we're removing gatekeepers right um what is actually happening in the sense is they're just creating new gatekeepers because again hypothetically anybody can find your music on spotify but really the things that thrive on spotify are the things that best complement spotify or apple music or title or whichever one of these platforms um, best complement their objectives. So you have new institutions, new gatekeepers in, in in essence. And and a few of the ways that you see them butt up against this, this tradition is, for example, on Spotify, you'll see uh, a lack of attribution or accreditation, a kind of like a, a, a placelessness to the music, right? Like your music made in Berlin, supported by this community of people, supported by this label, um, financially by this label, all those uh, kind of contextual elements are stripped away from the music, and certain songs, your decision as an artist to collate songs in a certain way, and have agency over the way people receive your work, is all stripped away in favour of this kind of playlist format, and particularly, even more perniciously, I think, the kind of playlists that are curated by uh, kind of utilitary, utility, right? Like showering music, you know, that's, I mean, that's that's offensive. It's it's an offensive concept. um, and so, so that's kind of one level of it is that I think like I push back against that notion period, just cause I think that that's, it's offensive, um, and kind of like uh, barbarian. Um, but then the other side of course is the payment and compensation thing because, um, you know, streaming services like Spotify, and they still haven't figured this out, um, in making these grand promises to people saying, well, oh, we're going to have all the music in the world. Um, and it's going to be the low, low price of nothing. If you take, if you, <clears throat> you know, will accept ads, or if you pay this much, you can you can have access. Um, promising all those people leads to very, very paltry returns. Um, and so, even though actually, and Spotify will argue this, um, they give a fairly good deal in terms of the profits that they're making from subscriber fees for plays on individual tracks. The uh, the eventual pair of that is so paltry. I mean, it, it's 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 like you know, a a band or or a musician with a community will make more in a year from selling 10 t-shirts or something than they will from the entire Spotify ecosystem, right? So um, there's kind of like a fundamental problem with that, too, where I think they've kind of oversold it. Um, My suspicion is that they oversold it because ultimately the thing that's the most beneficial to Spotify in that case is that they become the central repository for music upload, um, and they have their own methods to monetize that. Um, right? So it's kind of like the casino model, right? Like the house will always win. Like Spotify will always find a way to tweak whatever they're doing um, to end up being profitable by the end of it. And they've just only just become profitable. Um, but quite whether that uh, objective is uh, synonymous with the health of music communities or the progression of music as a medium or for, or art form is <laughs> like that's incredibly debatable to me, and I think we're already seeing like the early signs that that is just not going to happen. I think that these two things are, are diametrically in opposition to one another and ought to be rejected.
2: Matt isn't the only person with a critical view of the big streaming platforms. The producer, mixer, and sound engineer Marta Saloni cancelled her Spotify subscription back in March in protest at the company's opposition to a legal ruling which would have dramatically improved songwriters' streaming royalties in the US. She wrote in a tweet, A company with such capital and influence as Spotify should set an honourable and sustainable example, not one driven by greed. This exploitative model is doomed to fail. Respect music, respect songwriters, pay us accordingly. The hour's producer, Martha, spoke to Marta to find out more.
1: My name is Marta Saloni and I'm a producer, mixer and engineer. And I contribute to music in different forms, uh, artistically or technically. Recently worked with Holly Herden, uh, Bjork and a few others. (laughs) So, I've recently uh, cancelled my paid Spotify subscription because of a recent ruling of uh, the Copyright Royalty Board that was set to increase songwriter royalties by 44%, the royalties that come from streaming services. And um, streaming services had 90 days to oppose to that ruling, and the streaming services that did so uh, were Spotify, uh, Amazon, Pandora and Google. Well, uh, Apple Music didn't. And what that meant was that but this act that was trying to bring more fairness to songwriters' pace and rights now has stopped uh, from happening. Being uh, an industry professional and uh, not only that, as being a person with uh, you know, ethics and uh, moral grounds, I thought this act was absolutely vital to the songwriters and not only songwriters but also the people that contribute to uh, music in different ways like me. So this move by Spotify, especially being one of the more, one of the you know, biggest streaming services in the world, to me was very very short-sighted. It's a big punch in the face for the to the music industry. The response to the tweet was quite positive, in my opinion, as I got a lot of support a lot of people didn't know about this act and uh, they didn't know about spotify and amazon opposing to it so I- if if anything is bro a bit more awareness of the current situation of um, you know copyrights and uh, that is quite complicated territory to uh, to go and dig in um, sometimes because it basically goes it's behind behind the scene and not only behind the scene but it's quite technically complicated, I myself don't fully understand it. But uh, if there is something that we can make uh, visible is the aftermath of it, which will be, you know, some writers not being um, paid properly for their jobs. And, uh, you know, streaming services don't pay some writer enough already. And uh, without this increase, nothing is going to improve at all. Um, I'm just trying to set an example of uh, what's the uh, the best way of going about consuming music and buying music you know in the modern world where we can access uh, artist music via our computer um, there must be a way that is fair for everyone you know fair for the artist and fair for the consumer you know there is still a lot of work to be done i loved spotify because it was really easy to access it's got a huge catalog and it's just an interface i was really used to uh, even for discovering new music but still i had to change and uh, uh, my commodity can, does not have to come before my ethics and what's right for me and uh, for the artist you know on the other side i've been thinking also what's uh, um, a fair way for other people that for example can't even afford a subscription to access new music so that's still uh, also a great area which um thinking about you know uh, how do we bring music to people basically for free but without exploiting the artists and the people that work behind the uh, record what I learned is that a hundred paid streams equal one sale one the you know one physical sale and 600 free streams equal one sale so that's uh, quite a figure right I mean a 600.
2: This is probably a good moment to look at a commonly asked question. How much do streaming services pay per stream, exactly? This is harder to work out than you might think, since the amount is always changing and streaming platforms are rarely transparent about it. In a recent study, Digital Music News worked out some figures based on artist statements and other second-hand data. At the top of the leaderboard, Napster pays artists an average of 0.019 US dollars per stream, or $1.90 for 100 streams. At the bottom, YouTube offers a little under 7 cents for 100 plays. Spotify sits fairly low in the rankings, at about 44 cents for 100 streams. This figure is an average. As Marta says, listens from premium users, that is, those who pay a monthly subscription, lead to bigger payouts than those from free users. Back to Marta.
1: And I'm trying to also translate that into what it means for an artist to live off uh, the digital stream in terms of um, a minimum wage, and that's quite scary because it takes such a big amount of streams for an artist to earn uh, the amount of money that it takes to live. Tech giants such as Amazon and Spotify uh, thriving and uh, making uh, lots of uh, capital. And so how come the primary resource that they use, such as music and that's written by some writers, is absolutely exploited? It's a system that just doesn't work. If the artists that make the music that everyone enjoys that the streaming services basically exist because of that, and these artists cannot make a living out of it, then how are we going to carry on towards that direction? Streaming generated more than half of the income earned by record labels last year. So how do we make this fair? Well, that's still being worked out. I think it was only last year that uh, the Music Modernization Act was passed in the in the U.S. So basically, what, uh, this consisted in the creation of a mechanical licensing collective, uh, which was paid by the digital companies, and uh, what offer, uh, it was a blanket license in return for improved payments to some writers. So that's something that, you know, uh, a step towards trying to make some, um, some sense in this chaos, which is generated by the new, by the, you know, modernization of uh, the way that we consume music. All parties, and especially the ones that have the most monetary influence, and hold the capital, like these tech giants, need to come to a compromise, which doesn't only mean it's a complete savage money-earning mentality, but it needs to be uh, lean more towards realising the importance of uh, the work.
2: There seems to be some agreement that the way things are right now isn't ideal. But when did they change? And what were they like before? Telefon Tel Aviv, a producer with two decades of experience, gave me a long view on the economics of underground music. You know, you've been active for like 20 years and uh, have obviously seen things change a lot. Um,
4: Do you think it's become harder for a musician to earn money from the music they make? There's, There's, I mean, I'm a case study in that, you know, there was a sort of there were kind of two golden eras of you know musicians making money from selling music and the first one I want to say sort of peaked in the late 90s with you know CDs being $20 and people bought them because there really wasn't an alternative now I wasn't really a part of that Um, I sort of came in you know our first record uh, came out in 2001 and Hefty Records was the label that put it out and Hefty was one of the first labels that uh, that was available on the iTunes store and the iTunes store was incredible especially for sort of you know working class musicians like us because the label didn't have to manufacture anything and there weren't any sort of digital aggregators at the time and there weren't there was no digital distribution network so um, so Apple worked directly with labels so we would print these files and send wave files to apple and they would convert them to AAC files and put them on the iTunes store and people would buy them for you know nine dollars for a record 99 cents a song or whatever and uh, So for labels and for smaller artists, it was incredible because if you sold You know 2000 copies digital download copies that was twenty thousand dollars of revenue that you didn't have to spend five or six grand manufacturing and uh, So this was sort of the golden era for us for like electronic music you could make you know a small teacher's salary um, being sort of, a lower to middle of the road musician, you know, maybe your shows were 250 to 450 people and you would sell 25,000 copies of your record. Let's say, you know, five or 6,000 vinyl, five or 6,000 CDs and the rest digital It was amazing. Like you could actually, you could tour a little bit and sell records a little bit. And it was, I mean, nobody was getting, I mean, we weren't getting rich from it, but You know, I guess after, I guess by the time our second record was done and was out, it got to a point where it was like, ah, there's actually like a little bit of dough here and you can sort of make this a career, but that's all, you know, obviously we know that that's not really the case anymore. Those kind of royalties are, are long gone, long gone.
2: I mean, what do you think has been the key change there? Um,
4: Is it just that consuming habits have moved away from paying for music in general? What started happening then is, you know, distribution companies started saying, oh, well, we need to arm ourselves with a with a digital distribution wing. So these I'm not naming names here, but they were like very well known, you know, dance music distributors that would take 30 percent of your digital before you and the label saw any of it. They would take Apple took their 30 or at the time it was 28 percent. And then and then. uh your digital distri- your distributor who distributed all your physical stuff would also take 30% of your digital. So label and artists are splitting 40% of what's left of digital that, you know, then the label takes half and then you get half. So as an artist, you're getting, you know, this is like by the late aughts, mind you. So by the end of the late aughts with all these digital distributors, the artist was seeing maybe 10, 20, 20%, probably best case scenario if they're digital in a lot of cases. and. Uh, Yeah, it was, uh, it started kind of falling apart. That was sort of the first step. And then right around the same time, uh, you know, the streaming came in and that just scuttled the whole thing because people are like, wow, I don't have to buy music. Well, why would I buy it anyway? If I can just listen to it on my phone. You know, of course, there's a small subset of listeners, and depending on the project, there's a set of listeners that are, that are really keen on buying things, and, they're, and, they're, and they're, it's really important to them to financially support the artists that they like because they have a vested interest in this artist being able to continue to make music. Um, but, but that's the exception more than the rule, for sure.
2: Would you say that the dominance of streaming now has a kind of negative effect on, on music culture beyond just the poor payouts? Is there some kind of cultural shift in terms of the way music is consumed or or the way that these streaming giants kind of reshape the whole music scene?
4: I don't know if I have a really clever answer for that or if I have an answer that isn't better said by somebody else. But personally, I love the idea of streaming. Uh, As a listener, it's great. I can kind of preview the things that I like, but I sort of use it as like a, for me, streaming is sort of like the Listening Station at Tower Records in 1995. You know, I'll read something about a record. Somebody says, oh, this record's great. Or maybe you should check this out. Or I'll read a piece about an artist and think, oh, I should go listen to that and see what it's like. I'll go to the streaming and kind of see what it is. And if I love it, and then I end up usually buying it on Bandcamp. Or, or if it's like a must have, then I'll buy the vinyl but i think most people just kind of you know maybe they they consume more music and they consume it uh, in a in a way that's a little bit a little bit more dilettantish and and not as much sort of really digging in on what the thing is because there is something to be said, you know i'm old man yells at cloud now about this but you know there is something to be said about you know, when I was a kid and I bought a tape of a band that I loved, I would open the liner notes and read who, what kind of guitar strings did they use and who was the producer. It, it caused me to be more careful in my listening habits. You know, I paid a lot more attention. I, I think that streaming sort of devalues that, that listening experience for most people. As
2: Telefon Tel Aviv suggests, it's not just musicians' bank accounts that have been affected by streaming. In a world dominated by Spotify and the like, the role that music plays in our lives, and the value we place on it, have changed. I called up Liz Pelly, a journalist who has written extensively about the ills of streaming, to find out more about these changes.
5: I think for a long time, the conversation around streaming and criticism of the streaming economy was really focused on payments and the economy of uh, streaming and how artists weren't able to support themselves um, off of what they were getting paid by these services. And that is a huge conversation. But I also feel like um, in terms of the... Uh, streaming economy and companies like Spotify and Apple Music and all the other streaming services, there's this whole other sort of element that really needs to be criticized, which is how it is affecting um, the creative process, how it affects the way that um, community forms around music, and sort of like how these services are increasingly setting the terms of what music even is and what role it plays in our lives and what our relationship with music is largely through um, you know the decontextualizing of music and the, the recontextualizing of songs into playlists instead of albums um, to uh, be sort of put in these boxes that um, segment audiences in new ways so that they're more easily commodifiable and sold to advertisers. And um, that has a big picture on like, what we understand music to be and um, what the role of music is in general.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Something Spotify have said um, is that it's their goal to have more than a million artists be able to live off their art, which, um, you know, from a musician's perspective, that sounds good. Um, but I guess these, these issues you were talking about there might um, help us understand why that could actually be bad. Um, so, so what would that sort of future look like where there are a million artists living off Spotify, you know, in what ways would their creativity be different from the kind that we might be imagining?
5: There's a huge difference between the idea of um, making a living off of art and making a living off of Spotify, um, especially when um, streaming services like Spotify are um, platforms that are increasingly incentivizing the same types of music and incentivizing the same types of um, relationships with music um, and really prioritizing things like mood and activity and affect which are a huge part of their business model and it's a huge way that they um, connect with advertisers Um, and when that is the overarching dynamic of the environment um, that creates a situation where yeah like certain types of music are incentivized um, and it really is important to keep in mind because there are a lot of myths about um, platform neutrality and the idea that these platforms are like tools for artists to use but a question that I think is important to ask is you know with Spotify with digital tools in general even beyond music is like the extent to which we're using the tools or the tools are using us. And um, because Spotify is largely an advertising platform, um, I think it's important to keep those questions in mind just in terms of like who is really profiting off of our interactions with these services. There's a bunch of different trends that um, have emerged in music as a result of the different things that are incentivized by platforms. There's this whole, other phenomenon um of you know background music and music that is sort of um meant to be you know something that you're listening to while you're working or while you're driving or exercising like music that is um tailored to like be in the background while you're performing certain activities and i think that that actually also is really tied in with um advertising as well in the article that i um wrote last year streambait pop um, I was talking about, you know, this phenomenon of Spotify Core, um, which is a term that a bunch of music journalists have started using to describe like this specific sound of music that does well in the streaming economy. Um, and if you look in the big picture, like Spotify Core really is the the style of music and um, it's very like chill and um, emotional music. Um, the trajectory of how this music, I think, came to be, Um, prominent on Spotify really does go back to like the evolution of playlists and the prominence of mood and activity playlists and when you think about what is incentivized by mood and activity playlists it has a lot to do with trends like chill and um, different moods and emotions.
2: You've written as well about um, how Spotify is eroding existing music industry structures like how they appear to be trying to replace music labels for instance. Um, could you talk a little bit about what they're doing
5: there? Oh yeah, I think you were talking about this article that I wrote last year, um, sort of like comparing Spotify and Uber, um, which is, you know, I think it's important that we talk about music platforms and in, in the same conversations that um, we're criticizing other tech companies. Um, but I was, I was referring, you know, mostly towards. Um, Spotify's um, turn towards uh, doing contracts with independent artists and um, advances, and sort of like in some ways signing artists directly to the platform. And Spotify has said that it's not trying to be a record label, but there has been talk of advances and um, deals directly with independent artists. And I think that, you know, any um, major tech company or platform um that is like trying to replace independent record labels in that way um needs to come under criticism um you know there's so much more that independent record labels provide to independent music communities beyond just the technology to um, distribute music um independent record labels are a huge part of the social fabric of what makes up independent music culture and I think that's like something that is um really important to keep in mind independent record labels you know like um help connect dots between communities and often are locally focused there's just like this whole other element of um what it means to um support and create culture that a a tech company um such as Spotify I don't think could ever um, be part of.
2: Do you think this fits in with a with a wider trend of um, these big digital platforms kind of reshaping local communities? Like, um, I read this article you wrote recently about how Facebook is um, kind of making things difficult for DIY spaces, for instance. So there's like a general trend of the local being kind of invaded by these generalized platforms.
5: I think that the erosion of local music communities at the hands of enormous tech platforms isn't something that is uh, solely the fault of Spotify, but it's definitely a big piece of the puzzle. There's also, obviously, I think it's important to think about the way platforms like Facebook and Instagram and other major platforms have also become tools that local music communities are increasingly beholden to for organizing events and communicating and booking tours. And um, I think that the extent to which those tools have become an integral part of what it means to form community around music today also is like worthy of immense criticism um and uh you know thinking about the types of interactions that those platforms incentivize um and the ways that we're allowing communication at the whim of platforms like facebook instagram and also twitter to become part of yeah how we form community around music i think is also something to be critical of
2: it's time to hear from an artist with a radical approach to these big tech
6: platforms. I'm Xin. I've uh, released uh, an EP last year on subtext, um, and then I've contributed to a couple compilations on net labels like ANBA, Genome 666 MBP, and Intruder Alert.
2: And your release on subtext that you mentioned was distributed in a particular way. Um, could you explain
6: that? Yeah, so um, we chose to make it available solely through independent platforms and not um, available to stream on like Spotify or Title or whatever. Um, that was a bit tricky to navigate. That I guess during the promo period, um, so we had to make a few things available, like on SoundCloud for streams and whatever.
2: Why did you decide to do it that way?
6: I have a number of qualms about streaming. I guess as you know, most people do nowadays, um, and I guess I was feeling a bit frustrated with. Um, how homogenous the kind of landscape generally seems and just kind of wanted to try to do something different. Um, so I was thinking about, you know, why, why release music in the first place? What I might want from doing that? Um, and I guess it wasn't so much a question of reach necessarily. Um, I don't know, just kind of thinking about questions like, how do I want people to engage with my music?
2: Um, you said you have some qualms with streaming. I guess there's the financial aspects that people discuss, but there are also other perhaps harder to quantify aspects to to streaming that musicians aren't so happy with.
6: Yeah, the way that Spotify, like the pro rata method of splitting royalties just kind of fucks over a lot of smaller artists.
2: Pro rata refers to the way that Spotify divides up the money owed to artists. In a given month, Spotify gathers together all of the money to be distributed and then splits it between the songs in its catalogue based on how much they were listened to. So, if an Ed Sheeran song gets 1% of all plays in July, then 1% of the money from July goes to Ed Sheeran. All the major streaming platforms use this model, and while it might seem pretty fair, it tends to favour mainstream artists who attract high numbers of listens. Some argue that streaming platforms should instead adopt a user-centric distribution model. This would mean that if I spent my July listening exclusively to the noise musician Mertzbau, then all of my subscription fee, at least the bit of it which goes to artists, would be paid to Mertzbau. With the current model, no matter how niche my listening habits, a chunk of my subscription money goes to big stars
6: like Ed Sheeran. Back to Shin. So that's a big problem and I think Just generally, I'd like to see people um, being a bit more critical about, like, the platforms through which they um, share their music and promote themselves, etc. Because I think that kind of question extends to the whole ecosystem, like, you know, to publishing, etc. Yeah, I guess a lot of the uh, risks that come about when you use a platform like Spotify, um, or maybe, like, well-documented by, like, people like Liz Pelly or whatever, um, You know, how they kind of uh, exacerbate the gender bias, um, how they kind of encourage passive listening over active listening, um, and um, I don't know, there's just like a whole slew of things that just really don't sit well with me. I don't like that method of engaging with music for myself either.
2: Did you find that avoiding those big streaming platforms made things harder? Or in what ways did that make things harder?
6: Maybe I also can't really separate that from not being on Facebook or Instagram, so obviously that means that's, like, substantially less reach, um, um, but despite that, I don't know, I guess, broadly speaking, with everybody I know, there's a sense that you have to be on these platforms to, I don't know, to, like, quote-unquote, like, get anywhere or whatever, um, but I guess I've been somewhat surprised by um the fact that some people at least have been have listened to the ep have booked me for shows etc um so perhaps it slows things down but i guess when i made those decisions i kind of um acknowledge that like even if it kind of slows my career or whatever down a bit that's like um something i'm willing to do because i think i don't know to me at least those things are important
0: You're listening to The Hour from RA. If you're enjoying this episode, you can revisit our archive of shows on residentadvisor.net stroke podcasts.
2: Struck by the courage of Shin's approach, and wondered if other artists have considered a boycott of the streaming giants. Here's Telephone Tel Aviv.
4: I see other artists doing it, and I think it's really brave of them. You know, Ski Mask, for instance, was like, you know what, my new thing. I'm not putting it on Spotify. And uh, and a lot of people are like, well, fuck, man, how am I supposed to listen to it? And he's like, cool, you can go to Bandcamp, man. It's 5.99, man. It's not expensive. I spent half a year working on this fucking thing throw me a bone here you know i think that's really brave and i also think you could justify spending 20 bucks on a ski mask record it's gonna be a fucking ripper there was a great tweet about this i'll use this as an example guy was like you know i have a hard time you know i go back and forth on whether i'm gonna spend 99 cents on a song but believe me i'll never bat an eyelash about spending 99 cents for more guacamole at chipotle i was like oh okay well really what the thing is which streaming has done really more than anything, is in the court of public opinion, whether people realize it or not, it's completely devalued the physical music, what music is, it's devalued it. So people don't buy it.
2: And I guess that's a a much harder trend to reverse or or to work against.
4: Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you can tell people like, oh, well, you know, you were paying nine bucks a month for all the music that you could ever want, but now that's over and now you have to start paying $9 for every record that you want the pitchforks will come out and somehow the artists will be the bad guys. Here's Matt Dryhurst.
2: Do you think that musicians and music fans should be boycotting um, Spotify and the like?
3: No, um, and the reason for that is that I think nothing is lost at this particular point in time through having your music hosted on Spotify or or Apple Music or whatnot. particularly if you are not in a advantageous financial position or whatever, maybe in the short term you stand to lose more from not participating in those networks than from participating in them. So I, I never, I'd never try and be judgy about people, just generally. Um, and boycotts tend to encourage uh, judgment. I might be in a better position, or at least the, the people I work with might be in a, in a better position to make that call. I don't want to put that on an 18-year-old. Um, what I would say, though, is that I think metering your expectations or, or or basically, like, lowering your expectations heavily about what those streaming services might do for you is, is advantageous. And also uh, looking into alternatives um, with all of the free time, free headspace or brain space that you have uh, kind of freed up by not putting any faith into the streaming services. Um, thinking about alternative measures to actually... You know, benefit the health of your your local community or your friends or whoever it might be is is a good idea. Yeah. <clears throat>
2: um, let's talk about alternatives to um, the streaming giants. Are there any in your view, or could there be any?
3: In the short term, there's a few there's a few good things. Um, th- these are sh- I, I say short term because I actually don't think these things are long term competitive. There's a Berlin-based organization called Resonate that is actually. Um, has actually put a lot of time and effort into trying to produce a better deal for people with streaming. Um, and my suggestion with Resonate is, why not just put your music on there too? I think that that's, there's nothing lost in that process. Um, in the short term, Bandcamp is great. I have no ill will toward Bandcamp, I think. Bandcamp is basically, you know, the the, the, big, the closest approximation you could have to a record store um, if people don't live in a place where they could physically acquire records, uh, Bandcamp is an incredible way for them to compensate you for the work that you've done. So I think Bandcamp is awesome and people should support it. Um, similarly, Avalon Emerson and, and Lewis have put together this Buy Music Club, for example. Ideas like that of kind of uh, attributing people and using whatever platform you might have to point people to towards purchasing something is a really good idea.
7: My name is Avalon Emerson. I make music and I DJ. And together with Lewis, um, we started By Music Club.
8: My name is Lewis Center. I'm a, a software developer based here in Berlin. Music enthusiast and regular music downloader, but uh, predominantly work as a software developer here. And what is By Music Club? The basic concept is that By Music Club is is a website where you create lists of your favorite Bandcamp releases or maybe lists around a certain like topic of Bandcamp releases, collections of things. Um, And then you you publish them to the website and you, you share them with people. Towards the end of last year, we had been looking at and discussing this marketing campaign that Spotify had been doing. It's like their end of year marketing campaigns where they basically like let their artists and labels like crunch stats and allow people to publish those numbers and stats to Spotify wrapped right yeah we'd seen that and I mean we we have a lot of like different uh, opinions and thoughts on like big streaming platforms and I guess there's been a lot of discussion recently about like how equitable and how fair these like streaming platforms are for like independent artists and I guess within the dance music space there's a lot of like independent creators doing their thing so we'd been like looking at that and talking about it and kind of thinking about how much that marketing campaign sort of didn't really stick with us or didn't really feel particularly great. Avalon said it would be really cool if... I think you wanted to do like a Google Doc or something of just your favorite Bandcamp releases of last year and then put that out there and just like encourage people to go through it and listen to things, find the things that they wanted to buy and support the artists on that list just to kind of like start a conversation around that. And then through that, the idea of okay let's publish that list but maybe let's also create something on top of it where everyone who's interested in creating a list can do the same thing and then share it through the platform as well and that's what the platform is what is it about Bandcamp that made you want to direct people there
2: specifically as opposed to towards some other platform where they could consume music
7: i think kind of the kernel of buy music club also came out of not only the spotify unwrapped or whatever, but um, also this traditional yearly slog that everyone endures of the year-end list thing. I I just had the idea that we could kind of translate that into something that generates income for people so that it's not simply a ratings thing. Um, And the reason Bandcamp would have been the best platform for it is because as a artist or a label you get so much more of the income for every dollar spent there. Bandcamp is basically a series of lemonade stands on each of their individual cul-de-sacs and as a consumer you go to that store, take out your credit card, buy the you know $2 song, get on your bike, go to the next cul-de-sac, do the same thing. Um, there's all kinds of ways that this can be improved, I think, specifically for our scene. One of them that we saw in uh, December was like being able to make lists of all of these things.
2: And was there a particular audience that um, you were hoping to reach with this? A particular kind of music listener or fan?
7: I think one of the problems with the these streaming models or these streaming platforms like youtube and spotify is that it flattens every listen down to this single resolution of this same kind of listener um and whether that's someone who is completely passive and doesn't even want to choose at all the kind of music that's coming out of the speakers they'll click on like a you know chill hammock playlist that's curated by someone at spotify um but there's a massive community of people, especially in the dance music world, who want something specific and something that is connected to like the scenes and the worlds that they're interested in. And so these are the kind of really engaged people um, who are the music fans that we wanted to target with By Music Club.
2: And how was the response to that initial launch of the site?
7: Surprisingly, very enthusiastic. We published... With a small homepage, and then saw them lists just rolling in. We saw all kinds of um, DJs, artists, labels, um, radio shows, and then listeners also. People who just wanted to take stock of their year.
2: It, it interests me that did um, a project like this. You know, it's not it's not necessarily. Um offering a radically different kind totally. of structure or something, yeah. but, but it's just, it's perhaps a, a value shift where it's celebrating mm. purchasing music rather than simply streaming it or whatever. Did you have that in mind, that it was trying to kind of uh, celebrate a different kind of music consumption?
8: Yeah, I, I think we're always, I mean, it's I think it's very obvious to point out that the thing that we've built so far is there's nothing overly radical about it. I mean, it, it, it's essentially a list creator. And so it's kind of like wild to see people getting amped about that. But I agree with what you're saying, which is that it's a, it's a conversation starter, it's a value shift. And it's getting people thinking about something, which I think is what the intention was.
7: Yeah, these cycles of attention happen every year. And this is what the Spotify campaign at the end of the year was doing is like capturing the energy to take stock of the previous year and providing artists with this pre-made video that they can share on socials and so instead of just allowing these large platforms to capitalize the conversation on it um, we wanted to make something that was something that yeah it just tipped the needle in a direction of allowing people to kind of think about what's actually happening. Um, It was also interesting to see how people had this exact question that you had, like, why is Bandcamp good? Why is Spotify bad? Why is streaming bad? Why is it better if I... Why does a label or an artist make three times more if they sell an EP on Bandcamp versus if they um, do on Beatport? A lot of people didn't know that, so this is also a good kind of a positive point to bring up in this discussion instead of just complaining about things or I mean which is it's a valid thing to do Mm. to complain about the current structures but also um, yeah we didn't build anything that crazy that radical nothing was uh, technologically Mm. um, you know hasn't been seen before we basically created one feature that this old platform Bandcamp didn't have and it really spoke to people
2: Is Liz Pelly?
5: When you think about the economics of music and the economics of a platform like Spotify versus the economics of a platform like Bandcamp, um, obviously Bandcamp is a, a platform that, from an economic perspective, is uh, much more friendly to artists. Um, uh, you know, solely based on the fact that it's a platform that encourages uh, buying of music versus streaming, um, uh, but also the the ways that um, Payments are split, um, you know, most of the money goes directly to artists um, and, you know, streaming and services like Spotify um, sort of like inherently devalue music. Whereas I feel like, um, you know, even the very like encouraging of uh, music to be sold is a huge distinction between the two that um, makes uh, Bandcamp that is something uh I think you could fairly say is yet much more friendly to artists and also um, the extent to which like control over context plays into the conversation I think is also really important um you know like the uh ability to control uh music being heard in the context that it was intended to be heard as a release um as an album versus as um singles that are sort of like um you know being curated into playlists by curators or by algorithms is a huge distinction as well Um, but every artist needs to decide for themselves what tools work for them and every fan needs to decide what tools work for them you know I think that a lot of the um, uh, weight of these decisions about what uh, tools are, uh, the most fair or what tools, um, should be embraced often falls onto artists and labels. But I also think that as listeners, we need to do, uh, listeners and fans and like members of music communities. We also need to do the same sort of reckoning, um, about what digital tools, um, uh, make sense for us or like feel, um, inspiring to us and like, which, uh, tools we want to be part of our relationship with music. Um, And for some people, that might be Bandcamp. But yeah, I think there are also some artists who don't want any um, platform or medium at all to come in between them and their fans and listeners. And um, that also is, I think, something that would be interesting to see more people experiment with.
3: I think that what has happened is barely reversible. Here's Matt again. I don't want to be defeatist about it, but I'm, I'm not very confident that we can reverse the damaging effects that streaming has had. Um, not least because in, for example, the venture capital community or the places that might be able to generate sufficient capital to fund an alternative, um, the consensus there is that the problem of music has been solved, which is a huge defeat. Um, so, yeah, so in terms of being pragmatic and thinking about next steps um you know bandcamp uh, projects like by music projects like resonate i think are really really wonderful in the short term in the long term i think we need to have a real real uh really big think about what the new value is of the culture that we create um and that's a really big conversation. I I have like a bunch of things to say about that, that we could be here for like a couple hours, and you probably have a bunch of things to say about that. But that's kind of where I'm at right now, is I'm like, what do we stand for? What are first principles? What would people pay for? That's more interesting to me. Personally, I've been thinking a lot about clubs. From the basic observation that the cultures that tend to endure tend to own space. And uh, there's a bunch of different stuff happening around ownership of space. Uh, equity agreements there's some m- changes happening in that universe and I'm like oh this is kind of interesting um looking into the club space for example like there's there was this great legacy in the kind of 70s groups like Super Studio Italian kind of utopian architects and designers who were thinking about club design a lot of that thinking ended up being put into the Hacienda the way that they were reconceiving clubs is is common to most people's clubbing experience now but for my personal interest you can go even further back actually um like in the late 1800s in germany there were more radical ideas about the future of socializing than are happening currently um and so you know that is my kind of provocation in a sense is a lot of like in particular with the twitter stuff i'm just like hey guys like liberate yourself from these very limited parameters that are being imposed on you by people who don't care about your culture like, if you guys decided tomorrow that the future of your micro scene was dogs, no, but really, it, it, whatever. It, it, that's cool. Like, and I think there's maybe more promise there than saying, well, if only we just, you know, change the size of the artwork on a streaming platform, then then people will pay. And I'm like, I, 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 I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't think that that's true. Um, so, yeah, so I think... In a sense, you know, and under the principle that as an as an artist or as a you know uh, as a person who's like deeply participating in culture, it's part of your job to be a bit visionary, you know, let a thousand flowers bloom. You know, I mean, I think that that that's way more exciting to me than than uh, than being like, yeah, well, how do we trick people to buy something that, you know. That, that has that has kind of been been buried, you know. That's and it's really sad. It's 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 really sad, but uh, yeah, yeah. So I think just thinking is good. <laughs> Here's
2: Marta Saloni.
1: Well, I think the way that we can approach trying to direct, you know, our dissatisfaction with the current state of things, is to act as a community. That's what I believe in. If we are together, we're stronger. And and if we can spread the informations that we have upon what's happening, then more and more people will be able to make a choice and uh, and then choose if they want to, like me, withdraw from a paid subscription or try and consume music with a bit more uh, attention to to where we put our money and uh, money is a big form of power that we individually have you know as a community we've got the power of trying to uh, uh, create awareness and as individual we got the power of uh, spending money on ethical choices for music fans, they care the and have the time and uh, the possibility to make a choice on how they consume music, I would suggest uh, uh, Apple Music, because Apple Music did not oppose to the the, uh, copyright royalty board, increase in some writers' royalty rates. Bandcamp and going going directly to the artist uh, after a gig or uh, the artist's website, and generally start trying to be informed on how they spend their money.
2: I asked Liz Pelly if she thinks that streaming services are here to stay.
5: The most like urgent for music communities, from my perspective, is that we really don't know. You know, like we don't know this the long term sustainability of any of these platforms um, in and of themselves. Obviously, something like Spotify um, and uh, Apple Music and Amazon Music, like these things, will never be sustainable for independent artists. Um, you know, we don't really know, like how long these platforms will even be around for. I think um, that in and of itself is like why it is so important to be um, working on alternatives. And um, I think that like platform uh, dependence um, is, uh, you know, bad for lots of reasons. But one of the reasons why it is so um, risky to be fully wrapped up in one pla- platform um even you know something like Bandcamp which i use and um enjoy using like um the idea of uh fully um, wrapping up all of your music listening or music releasing or distributing into one platform is that you're like you're giving a lot of power to this one platform um to sort of uh not just have um Control over the way that you experience music and the way that you um, release music or, or listen to music, but then like you're you're at the whim of that platform, right? So, um, if any of these platforms like disappear or change, um, you're not in control of um, that interaction. That's why it's important to like remember all of the things about independent music culture and community building, um, creating community-driven tools outside of these platforms. I definitely think we're in a period of time where um, artists and fans alike really need to be um, like reckoning with the role that digital tools of all types play um, in the distribution and promotion of music, but also like how music communities function. And um, I would never tell anyone not to experiment with um, removing their work from a certain platform if they felt like that platform wasn't um, serving them. I think that this is a period where we should be experimenting not everything is going to work for all artists um i don't think that uh you know what the tools that work for one artist or community or fan um aren't necessarily going to work for another artist or fan or community um so yeah like experimenting with um different available tools to figure out what works for you as an artist or someone who runs a label or someone who um, is a fan of music, I think um, is a really important thing to be doing right now.
0: Thank you for listening to the first part of this two-part episode of The Hour on the changing economics of electronic music. On this episode, we heard about streaming, how it works, the challenges it poses for artists, and other ways that they can sell their music. In next month's episode, Angus will be back to examine other potential income streams for dance music producers. With artists Patrice Boimel and Gunnar Haslam alongside Matt Dryhurst again, we'll explore the inner workings of the royalties distribution system and discuss the ethics of collaborating with brands. Thank you